Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you. This morning we are continuing our series in the book of John. We're talking through the I Am statements of Jesus. So you can go ahead and open up your Bible, or you can look on the screen, to John chapter 11. We'll be jumping in and out of the passage this morning. Um, so it would be good to have your Bible so you can kind of just follow along with us. In 1873, Anna and her four daughters of 11, 9, 5, and 2 boarded the Ville du Havre to go across the Atlantic Ocean from the United States to Europe. They were going on uh, partly a vacation, but also partly because uh, their father, the father of the family, was good friends with Dwight Moody, who was a famous evangelist, and they wanted to go participate in one of his uh, great crusades. So they got on this boat, excited, anticipating what God was going to do in their lives and in this uh, vacation, this European adventure they were going on. However, things did not go the way that they had hoped. In fact, they get, went quite awfully about halfway through across the Atlantic. The Ville du Havre ran into another boat and within an hour had sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Another boat that was nearby, actually the boat that they had crashed into, pulled Anna out of the water. She was floating unconscious on a piece of uh, you know, plywood, that, a plank that had come off of the other boat that had sunk. They pull her out and... I don't really know what she said as she began to gain consciousness, but I think at the same time as a parent, I also know what she did say, what, exactly what she said. Her first thoughts, what would they have been? Where are my daughters? Where are they? Are they okay? They weren't okay. Her daughter, she was the only one of her family rescued from that boat, all four of her daughters were never seen again. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to be her in that moment. What would she have been thinking? What would she have been saying? What would she have been talking to God about even? Where are you? Why would you let this happen? Are you good? Some of you this morning are her. Some of you this morning are experiencing deep grief or deep suffering. And you are asking those same questions. Where is God? Does he care? Is he good? Even if this morning you're not feeling the sharpness of death at the moment, you know, as 
well as I do, that one day you will or that you have in the past. You've experienced those hard moments where death shows up unexpected, uninvited. You know the unnatural feeling it is of knowing someone and them not being there anymore. You know the hardship of suffering, which maybe might not be exactly death, but sure feels like it. And you might be asking those questions. You might ask those questions one day. Where is God? Does he care? Is he good? This morning, we're going to look at a passage from John 11, a very famous passage. And as we do so, what we're going to learn is we're going to learn how God himself views death, how God himself views suffering. And the way we're going to find out that is we're going to look at the person of Jesus, God incarnate. We're going to see how he himself responds to death and therefore learn what the heart of God is toward death. Let's go ahead and read the passage. Um, I'm going to have you stand. It's a long passage, but I'll let you sit down for the prayer. It's okay. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tried, there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, Mary and, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha saw, heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where, Mary, where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father God, thank you so much for this story, the story that shows not only what you feel about death, but shows how you react to it and what you do about it. Pray, Lord, that we would be comforted by this this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. When faced with death, God, Jesus, does three quite unusual things. Um, Let's look at these three things. These are our three points this morning in order to understand a little bit about God's heart towards death. Jesus does three things. He waits he weeps, and he wins. He waits, he weeps, and he wins. Jesus waits. The first unusual thing that Jesus does in this passage is that he does not leave immediately when he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. Instead, he waits. Look at verses 5 to 7. It's really strange, actually, because it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. Two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. um, For there to have been word sent to Jesus from Martha, that means that Lazarus doesn't just have a cold, but he is dying. He is on his deathbed, and Jesus knows this. Um, he's super sick. And so if I were Jesus, right, well, what would I do? I hear my, one of my closest friends in the whole world is dying. I'm going to do everything that I can to get there before he dies, especially if I have the power to heal him, right? I want to get there ASAP. Um, I drop everything. I cancel all of my plans, and I leave. But that is not what Jesus does. Jesus waits, for two whole days. And not only does he wait two days as if he's just like lazing around, he specifically waits, as we learn from a later verse, until Lazarus is dead before even leaving. He waits till Jesus dies. Why does he wait? Well, the verse, the passage says very clearly, it doesn't really make much sense, but it's to us on on the surface, but it says, because he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he waits two more days. 
It's important for us to remember as we look at the life of Jesus that everything he does, every single thing he does, is driven by love. It's driven by love. Love for his creation, love for the people, um, his people, love for his father. Everything is driven by love. But the question then remains is it for us is how is it loving for Jesus to wait instead of to go and provide, provide immediate comfort for this family that is so dear to him? We see one hint in verse 4. It says, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Obviously, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, but he also knew that death would not be the end of Lazarus' story. So there's that on one hand. And also, it makes it clear in this verse that he wanted to do something even more glorious than just healing Lazarus from a sickness. Healing Lazarus is something that, you know, maybe a good doctor could do. Healing Lazarus is something that also... Later on, people could probably say, that was a myth that you did that. Um, you know, he probably just got better on his own and Jesus claimed credit for it. It's much easier to fake a healing than it is a resurrection. Verses 14 and 15 tell us a little bit more. They tell us, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. So how is it loving to wait? Because by waiting, Jesus is providing something better than a temporary healing. You see, the purpose of Jesus' signs wasn't to give temporary solutions to temporary problems, but was to reveal himself as the ultimate hope, the ultimate thing that we all long for. He wanted the disciples, he wanted the Mary and Martha and those who view this miracle to know that, that he's not just a someone who does cool signs, he does these signs because he wants people to see that their actual ultimate hope isn't in resurrection of their brother. Their actual ultimate hope is him. That is what he is. He is more than just a good doctor. He wants to show people that he himself is the actual source of life. It is from him that all life comes out. A great doctor or even a miraculous healer is pretty amazing and awe-inspiring, but here's the problem. Even the great doctor, even if you in here are a great doctor and you've had an amazing surgery where you saved someone's life, that person has or will die again. They will die. Everyone will die. Lazarus himself was raised from the dead, but Lazarus himself will die. There's not ultimate hope in a doctor. There's not ultimate hope in even a healer. But for someone who can take death and where there is death, produce life, that is an ultimate solution. That is something that can fix the depth, the true problem of this world, the brokenness of this world. That is ultimate hope. And Jesus wants to show the people that that is what he offers. And that is not only what he offers, that is who he is. So maybe today you feel like God is absent. You wonder, where is he? 
You wonder if he's good. You wonder why he's waiting and not acting in the way you want him to act. Why he's allowing suffering and grief to continue. Why he's allowing certain things to happen. Why he isn't stepping in and fixing things right now. I can't tell you exactly what, what's going on in your life. I can't tell you exactly what God is doing, but I can tell you something for sure is that he is inviting you to greater dependence on him in the midst of it. Maybe he's preparing you, or I'd say definitely he is preparing you for something greater than your heart can even imagine. And I can tell you that for sure because that is who Jesus is. Jesus is life. He says this to Martha. When he gets to the village, Martha runs out to meet him. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what Jesus is saying about himself. He's saying about himself something quite interesting, quite strange, quite uh, provocative. He's saying Jesus, Jesus is saying that by knowing him, that trusting in him, that being in relationship with him, all of these things are better even than not dying. All of these things, being in relationship with him, is better than not having your loved ones die. Being in relationship with him is better than not suffering. Even more than that, Jesus is saying that he is life itself, the source of life itself. Life as we know it is beautiful, but it pales in comparison to what it means to be in union with him. Because in him is the fullness of life. It is there that we will experience the full joy of living. As I said, I don't know what God is doing in your life. I don't know the specific lessons he's teaching you. I don't know exactly um, the trauma even that's going on in your life. If you're particularly grieving today, but I can say for certain that God is inviting you into greater dependence on him and is inviting you to believe in him. And often the waiting period, the period where he doesn't seem to be acting is the time when he is extending an invitation for you to take your hope off of the thing that you think is going to bring you life and to put it in him who will ultimately bring life. He doesn't only wait, though. He also weeps. And this is where we see uh, just the heart, the loving heart of Jesus. And it's a pretty odd thing that he does. He weeps. And um, let's look at that real quick. It says right here, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how we loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus weeping is pretty odd. It doesn't seem odd, maybe on first glance, because when you go to a gravesite, it's a pretty common thing to weep, to cry. 
Um, that's a really common thing. Everyone else was doing it. But it's odd because Jesus is the one who is about to fix it. Jesus is the one who is about to reverse death. Jesus is the one who's about to bring Lazarus back to life. Lazarus' death is not permanent. It's about to change. So why would Jesus be weeping? Some of the Jews think it's because he doesn't have the power to heal him. He healed the blind man. Why couldn't he have healed Lazarus, is what they say. But it's not, Jesus is not weeping from a place of powerlessness. Jesus is weeping in the midst of his power. Jesus is weeping before he fixes it. And that is also true of the God of the universe, as Jesus is the exact representation of him. The God of the universe weeps with his people before he fixes them. He weeps with his people before he fixes them. And why is that? Because Jesus himself hates death. He hates it. He hates it more than you do. He hates it more than I do. He is the author of life. And therefore, he weeps because he sees the effect that death has on his creation and on the people he loves. Even in this story, he looks around and he sees his dear friend Mary weeping. He sees all of her friends weeping. He sees the place where Lazarus has been buried and he weeps. He weeps because he loves them. And he sees the pain and he feels it with them. The Lord weeps with you. This morning you are grieving. The Lord weeps with you. The Lord is sadder about what you are sad about than even you are. And that is amazing. If you've ever gone to a funeral, um, perhaps you've been at the, the visitation period and you see the people who are most affected, the wife or the mother or, or whatever, and there's a huge temptation when you greet them to feel like you have to say something, right? I've got to say something to comfort them. So often our temptation is to pull out some sort of platitude. Oh, well, at least they're in a better place. Uh, at least God has a good plan for you. Um, you know, like, God is good all the time. We say things that aren't untrue. But if you've ever been the person who's on the opposite side, who is the person at that funeral and grieving, you can attest that those platitudes are incredibly unhelpful. They make you feel like you have to feel better about it than you really do. What you really need is someone who comes into the funeral and just weeps with you. Jesus weeps with us. Jesus weeps with us to validate our sadness. It's right to feel sad about death. It's right to feel angry about death. Jesus feels that too. And he weeps to comfort us, to show us we're not weeping alone. It would be pretty disappointing, though, if he stopped there, you know, just a good friend who comes and weeps with you but has no answers. Jesus doesn't just weep. He also wins. Death has no victory in this story. Death has no victory in the world we live in. It says Jesus once more deeply moved. I don't know if you guys noticed how many times in this passage it talks about how moved Jesus is. It's talking, he's an emotional person. He's an emotional being. He's deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus does wait, but he does not wait forever. Jesus does weep, but he does not weep as someone who is powerless. Out of his sadness, he acts and he wins. You see, it's in his hatred for death and it's in his sadness for the destruction he sees that it has caused that he cannot allow it to win. And in being moved by his sadness, he, with a passion, with an intensity, he marches to the tomb and in dependence on his father, he yells at death and he calls life into it. He calls to the dead man and where there was once a dead man, there is now a living man, Lazarus. He is the author of life. He brings life where there is death. And it is with this same intensity that only weeks or months later that Jesus himself would march to Calvary. And on Calvary, he would tell death, you do not have the victory here. He would take sin and death with him to the grave, and he would leave them there because three days later, he would rise from the dead defeating it. And different than Lazarus, because Lazarus uh, was raised again, and he dies again. I mean, unless he's still here somewhere, I don't know, but like, I think he dies again. Um, But Jesus raises himself into a new body, a body that can never die, that is not affected by sin and death the way his old body was. It is the same promise for us. For those of us who are in Jesus, we are promised that there is a future day coming even after our death where death will not be the end of the story, but instead life will be the end of the story. God will produce life in our bodies, will resurrect us to give us new bodies, new bodies that cannot die. And that is amazing. And that is what we get for trusting in the Lord. It's what God gives to us. So this morning, this is an invitation to you. If you are feeling this hopelessness, this sadness, turn to Jesus. We invite you to come meet him and to trust in him, to put your faith in him, to look forward to that day when life will win, when death is no more, because not only will our bodies be new, but we will be raised into a world that has been renewed, a world that no longer experiences suffering, or death, or tears. It's good news. Um, When Anna woke up, we don't really know. We imagine she asked about her daughters. Um, We don't really know some of the things that she said, our first conversations. The only thing we have left from her conversations on that boat is a single quote recorded by a fellow passenger that was rescued with her. Anna said, God gave me four daughters, Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why.
Anna knew Jesus. She knew him. I don't mean she just knew about him. I don't just mean that she called herself a Christian, went to church on Sundays. To make a statement like this, you have to know the heart of the person of Jesus. She didn't understand why. I'm not saying she understood why God had allowed this tragedy to happen. I wasn't saying she was just telling platitudes to herself and that she didn't feel grief and sadness. I'm certain that she did. Uh, I imagine she was incredibly distraught and spent years dealing with it. But what I am saying is there was a hope to what this quote. Because she knew Jesus, she knew what Jesus had done to death on the cross. She knew what Jesus had done to death in his resurrection. She had certainty in that future hope when she would see her daughters again even. But even more so that future day when she would see the face of her Savior. She knew that one day she would have answers. She would know what exactly God was doing in this waiting time, this time of not seeming to act. What future glory he was preparing for her that would be far greater than what she could imagine. She also knew that she had a Savior who wept with her. And that brought her comfort to know that God did have a plan. But she also trusted him because she knew that the death blow to death had already been dealt and that hope was the end of the story, not death. We too can have this hope, but you can't find it anywhere other than Jesus. He is the only one. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for, um, for weeping with us in our sadness, for having a plan even when we don't see it, and for defeating death and sin. I pray, Lord, that we would trust you all the more deeply. Um, I pray, Lord, for those of us here, any of us who may not know you yet, who may be in grief without hope, I pray, Lord, that you would put, give them hope in yourself in the midst of that grief. For those of us who know you, I pray, Lord, that hope would only get deeper. For us in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.